You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We have a tremendous opportunity. Five wins, last time you could say that in the regular season. So it's, it's going to be a tremendous thing to get to five wins. I know no one want to hear that and say, oh, Nebraska, oh, excited to win five games. But to be honest, it's been a long time. So that's what we try and do at this five game, uh, the fifth game of the season, going to the bye week five and two. That's, that's what we care about. And it's like this, everything is, you know, in front of us, and this game matters more than um, the others. Pour everything into this week. It's one week season. Um, we're going to look up on Sunday morning and either be four and three or five and two. And then we get to rest and recuperate, kind of re- recover mentally too, and re prepare ourselves for the next stretch. Um, whatever our guys got, they need to pour into this week to try to give us the best chance. And welcome here to another edition of the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus, as you just heard from inside linebacker and captain Mohamed Berry and head coach Scott Frost and Robin Nate. I thought Mohamed Berry brought up an interesting point. A lot of people are talking about, oh, you know, this is a big game before the bye. It's a big game for the Big Ten West. And Mohamed Berry said, no, it's a big game because we haven't won five games in a season at Nebraska since 2016. Say what you want about preseason thoughts, expectations. Nebraska won four games in 18. They won four games in 17. They're at four wins right now with six to go. And he goes, let's get to five first before we talk about anything else. And, you know, and that's a realistic point of view. And it's not one that Husker fans really want to hear um, going into the second half of the season, but it's reality. And they've got a big game this week to get to win number five, possibly. Well, it's funny, too, because you, you go back to even this summer at Big Ten Media Day when Bill Moose said, you know, how about we start with our goal being get to six wins and go to a bowl game? And everybody was like, whoa, what's Bill Moose doing setting the bar so low? Doesn't he not believe in Frost? And uh, it <laughs> turns out that that was kind of a realistic benchmark because here we are and, you know, <laughs> Nebraska obviously – uh, has a lot of issues still to figure out, but the fact remains they're four and two right now, uh, and have a situation to be five and two going into the bye with a very important West Division game on the road this weekend. So I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm with Muhammad. I mean, you, you can't get to six wins or seven wins or eight wins without getting to five first, and that has been a, a, a mark that Nebraska, like you said, Sean, hasn't been to since Muhammad Berry was a redshirt freshman. So let's, I mean, it's, it's going to take baby steps. It's not going to be a, a flip of the switch and everything is perfect and, and back to championships here in Nebraska. you got to kind of do it one step at a time, and the next step is getting to five wins. Yeah, it's a sobering reality of, of the situation, but you know, I, I think that it's, uh, it's encouraging that, that they are at this point in the season and, and they're at four wins. Um, you know, obviously you, you would have – like to have seen them maybe close out that game at Colorado, but uh, they're not too far off where I think most people thought they would be as far as wins and losses go. Maybe maybe uh, a little different by what it looks like on the football field, but uh, I think it's a good way for the team to look at it. You know, you've got you got one week here to pour everything you have into it to get to five wins, and then you can kind of have that bye week to to recuperate a little bit and and to to gather yourself for the that final stretch run and. Um, and oh, by the way, you've got an opportunity to to knock off a you know kind of a, an undefeated Minnesota team that's currently sitting at the top of the West standings right now. And it's going to be an interesting setting in Minneapolis. They are five and zero, as Nate just said. Um, you know, they they might be the worst five and zero team in the Power Five, um, maybe in the country. But they're five and zero. That does that's all that matters. Uh, they did not play a Power Five non conference game. They did travel to Fresno State. They played South Dakota State, who's number two in the FCS. Um, Georgia Southern almost beat them. 
Uh, Purdue almost beat them, and then they blew out Illinois. And Levy Smith, I mean, I think it's inevitable that this is going to be his last season at Illinois just based on how that game went the other night against the Gophers. Um, so there's a lot there. But, guys, the big storylines for Nebraska for Saturday are injuries. You, you've got situations right now at quarterback and wide receiver and running back as Adrian Martinez. We saw him dress out this week, at least on Wednesday, in full pads. We don't know if he actually practiced or what his availability is going to be uh, going into Saturday. We saw J.D. Spielman come in, and, and he practiced this week, it appeared, as well. Um, you would think making his homecoming back to Minnesota for the final time in his career uh, this is one he's not going to want to miss. So uh, I'm pretty optimistic. We're going to see Spielman not so optimistic on Martinez. Then obviously there's the lingering injury with Maurice Washington along with the suspension he served last week for the first half. Yeah, with Martinez, um, obviously he was in pads you know, on, on Wednesday, which is encouraging. Uh, we didn't see him on Tuesday because they didn't run the players by us, uh, by the media uh, interview site. Uh, so that's all we have to go off right now is um, the reports from uh, the coaching staff and what we saw after Wednesday's practice. And right now, um, they're still leaving the door open that he could play in this game, but I would be sp- pretty surprised if he if he starts uh at minnesota i mean given how bad the injury looked on saturday the fact that he couldn't even walk off the field under his own power he had to be helped off uh i mean that's not something that i think he just gets better over 48 hours and so yes he was out there but we don't know what he did what his workload was or if it just was for appearances to say that he was in pads to make minnesota think about it for a few days um and Reading between the lines on the comments, the coaching staff and you know the players. Have I mean, made Greg about Austin kind of tipped his hand a little bit. Well, Austin and uh, Mario Verdusco basically said the same thing. Like, we have full faith in Noah. We think he can run our offense perfectly, and uh, you know we're ready to roll with him if he has to play. Like they <laughs> they like almost forgot to add that caveat that it's still a question if he's going to play or not. So um, I'm fully under the assumption that Noah Vedral is going to get the start at Minnesota and. Uh, the good news is that at least what they're saying, uh, the Huskers seem to have full faith in him. Well, and I think that's what you have to do if you're Nebraska. If Adrian's 60% or whatever, I think that, that you probably owe it to your team to, to go with a 100% backup and allow Adrian, you know, this week and then all the bye week to try and get healthy for the rest of the season. So, um, you know, obviously I'm no doctor. I don't know what <laughs> I don't know what type of injury he suffered or whatever, but uh, it's encouraging at least that he was in pads, but I just don't see any way that, that he plays on Saturday. And, um, you know, and, and it's, it feels definitely feels like that they've been preparing Noah to be the guy. Guys, remember 2016 when Tommy Armstrong played at Iowa and literally – everybody's like, there's no way he's going to play. And then, like, he kind of, like, tricked the medical staff and the coaches to play. And then he went on to have – Well, Riker Fife had, like, a broken Broken, hand, yeah. Right? yeah. I mean, they, they – they, a little different. They, like, basically had a contraption on Tommy's hamstring, like a like metal bar. <laughs> it was like, yeah, like a, a, a weird metal thing that simulated a hamstring. Like Tommy that, played one of the worst games ever, though. Oh, it was terrible. And I think the team – it was like a letdown for the team that he played because they knew how – inept the offense is going to be. And I'm not going to say that's going to happen with Martinez, but you would think if if he's not 100% and were to play and he's not, you know, cutting and doing things he normally does, that's a letdown to your entire sideline at that point. Well, here's the deal, too. Like, with the weather being what it's supposed to be on Saturday, I mean, the, the idea of the quarterback dropping back and throwing the ball 40 times is probably not going to happen. So what you want is who's going to be the more dynamic runner. And right now, is it a hurt Martinez or a fully healthy Noah Vedrill who – by the way, he's a pretty good runner in his own right. Uh, 
you know, honestly, this this game is going to be one in the trenches. It's going to be one of who can run the ball, um, if assuming the weather is what it is. And I think that you go with the healthy Vedral, a guy that you know you don't need him to do a whole lot with his arm. You don't need him to go put the whole offense on his shoulders. You need him to execute efficiently and decisively. And I think those are two of his biggest strengths. And when you pair in um, just him being healthy uh, compared to a, a slower, you know, dinged up Martinez, I think it's kind of an obvious call given the situation at hand this week. Yeah, I think that's the bottom line right there. I think that's you, you spelled it out perfectly. And then, you know, you hope that um, if you're, you know, if you're Nebraska, you hope that Maurice Washington is, is healthy and that he's kind of over whatever type of deal right. that he's been dealing with. And um, and then obviously, Sean, you touched on on Spielman. I, I, I see him being able to go uh, this weekend too. So that, that gives you a, at least another playmaker or two there. Well, we're going to talk more about Noah Vedrill and, and what you need to know about him if he is the guy and much more about the offense next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. If Adrian's ready to go, that's awesome. Hoping for the best for him, but myself and the rest of the quarterbacks will be ready when we need to be, um, if we need to be. Uh, he literally could step in there and run the offense like he's been running it forever, and he has, you know, because he ran it at UCF also. Um, so he's more than capable. He could do a lot of a lot of the stuff Adrian could do, and um, he's also a smart guy and makes a real good decision. So I don't, I know we in good hands, no matter who's um, um, back there. If Adrian's healthy, he'll go. If he isn't. And we feel great about where else we are. It's good timing for a bunch of guys. I think we're, you know, it's been a long stretch here. We got a one-week season to play the best we can this week, and we're going to be able to rest and get a lot of guys healthy. And welcome back here to the Husker Line Show. This segment of the Husker Line Show brought to you by Tanner Sports Bar and Grill with locations in Omaha and Lincoln. If you're not traveling out to Minneapolis, going into Tanner's this weekend, they'll have the Husker game on all of the TVs. Great place to get wings, burgers, beer, everything, all the action all weekend. In fact, I stopped in Tanner's on my way home Saturday after the game this past week and got a burger to go before I got back to work with uh, some more stuff late night. But, guys, you heard um, Noah Vedrill there and, and Scott Frost and Muhammad Berry just all talking about Noah Vedrill a little bit there and, and what he brings to the table. And you, you look at him – you know, he's technically been with Scott Frost for four years. Um, he was recruited by him for his entire senior year of high school, which was Frost's first year at UCF. He played in them his first year at Central Florida, second year at Central Florida, then both years here at Nebraska. And before that, uh, Frost started evaluating and recruiting Noah Vedrill at Oregon when Noah went to his camp in 2015. Um, so this is a relationship that goes well back to Oregon and they have a lot of confidence in Noah. Um, like he knows the system. He's been in this system longer than anybody on campus. Um, and he's a dynamic athlete. They've believed in this guy since day one. So if they do have to go with Noah Vedral, there's no doubt. I think they will give him more this week. I felt like last week they were ultra conservative. I don't think you can go up to Minnesota and, and play that type of game on Saturday. Well, this will also be the first time that Noah's had a full week working as the number one quarterback. I mean, every one of his opportunities have been kind of a spur of the moment, oh, Adrian's down, let's throw him in there type situation. So um, we really haven't gotten to see what Noah Vedra looks like as a full starter through a full week of preparation and game planning. So uh, I'm curious to see. I mean, obviously there's a lot of variables with the weather and whatnot that um, could impact just how much they put on his plate, but I don't think this is going to be a deal where Nebraska runs the ball three times and punts just because they don't want to create any mistakes. I think they trust Noah 
to run their offense. And you you kind of highlighted just how versed he is in what they do, um, far more so than anybody on the roster, like you said. But also, um, he's got a mind for the game that I think really lends itself well to what the quarterback needs to do in this offense. He's Again, decisiveness and anticipation are two of the biggest traits you can have uh, as a Scott Frost quarterback. And you know, one of the, the knocks we've had on Adrian this year is that it seems like he's he's thinking too much and he's not just picking a decision and going with it. Well, that's what Noah prides himself on. He said that those are two, probably two of his biggest strengths on the field is, I know where I'm going to go with the football and I'm going to get there at 100%. And that can get you places in this scheme. So um, he's a, definitely a great athlete. You know, he was a star point guard who just knows how to facilitate offenses on the field, on the court, whatever it may be. And I think he's got a lot of respect in this locker room and the trust of the coaching staff, and that can take you a long way. Yeah, I mean, big track guy too. And so, uh, I mean, he's, he can run, he can do some things, and, and just a great competitor overall. It comes Obviously, he has, has great genes uh, that he comes from. But yeah, I think what if, if it is Vedral, what we see out of him in Minnesota, Minnesota is going to be night and day different than what we saw out of him, uh, you know, against Northwestern because he was coming off the bench on, on a win. And Northwestern had a better defense. Yeah, well, and that too. I mean, that that's going to make a huge difference. So, um, yeah, I think that the the difference in what we see in Vedral is, is going to be pretty pretty drastic. And um, and I don't think that they're going to have you know a limited playbook or anything like that. I mean, I think they'll be able to go out and run the, their full game plan with him. I'm going to play an interesting scenario for you guys. What happens if Noah Vedral starts? He plays lights out. They win at Minnesota as an eight and a half point dog. It's up to eight and a half net points now, by the way, guys. Um, you know, and, and I mean, you got to buy a week after that. I mean, can you imagine how much momentum he's going to have behind him if he goes out there and plays well and gets the win? It will be an interesting situation. Uh, I still have no doubt to, to believe that the Frost will go back to Martinez, obviously, um, but it, it will create some pretty good sports talk radio for two weeks if it played out like that well the backup quarterback is always the most popular guy on the team and especially if he's able to take advantage of his opportunity <clears throat> and play well get a win in a very important game um yeah that's going to get people talking our message boards will be on fire i'm sure because uh, they already were because people were um getting pretty critical of of adrian's struggles this year uh, but you know adrian's their guy he's been their guy since day one since the day frost took this job and nearly killed himself flying coast to coast on recruiting trips to, from Fresno to They turned Orlando. down Joe Burrow, essentially, yeah. and so, to, I mean, to, to go with Adrian. They've hitched their wagon as a program to Adrian Martinez. And just because, you know, he's sputtered a little bit and, and is a little dinged up, they're not going to just throw him to the side and, and let, uh, you know, the backup take over, despite some fans probably clamoring for it. And so it's going to take a lot more than just one good game from Noah uh, to, to make any sort of – long-term change because Adrian's the face of the program. They they love him. They love every bit about him on the field, off the field, and he's going to be their guy until they absolutely have to make a move. Yeah, Frost has gone out of his way to to support Adrian publicly and uh, and and say, you know, that he's he's the guy and and how much he believes and trusts in him and and uh, you know, and, and I'm I'm sure that some of that, you know, it's I think it was a lot of it was unnecessary, but I think some of it too is to kind of reassure Adrian too that hey, look, we're all behind you, you know, what whatever the issues are, um, you know, that that uh, they don't they don't second guess what what he's capable of doing. So I, I do think it would take an awful lot for Noah to kind of unseat that or, or for those things to all of a sudden kind of dissolve and for Frost to change his thinking there. Let's talk about something I didn't think we'd ever talk about on this show, but snaps. I mean, it's, it's, it's really not something that should ever be talked about. I mean, it's a very elementary part of a football game. 
quarterback exchange, whether it's shotgun or under center. And a lot of times, quarter centers will tell you it's easier to do a shotgun snap than under center snaps, um, just because of you know you're just lightly tossing the ball back to the quarterback. Well, that's been a problem for Nebraska. Cameron Jurgens has had issues with it. I know that he has done some additional work, maybe even with some outside help um, this week. And talking to Greg Austin guys about the snap issues, he said it's not a fundamental issue, which I think might be a surprise to some folks. It's more a fatigue issue. And I think for Jurgens, he hasn't played football in a long time, a full season for that matter. And he hasn't played offensive line in his life. So um, I think there are moments where, you know, he does get fatigued and that's where the sloppiness has come in on these snaps and one is too many. I mean, they, they, they were very lucky that Noah Vedral got the perfect bounce last week because that might have lost them the game oh, in yeah. a game like that Saturday. It's interesting that uh, Greg Austin said it's not about fundamentals or techniques because during the game, the Northwestern game on Saturday, um, I came across a tweet by Chris Bober, who, if you're not familiar, he's a former eight-year NFL Omaha veteran. Omaha South grad. Yeah, played with the Kansas player. City Chiefs. So. I mean, the guy knows a thing or two about playing the center position. And he tweeted in response to kind of Cam Jurgen's struggles that as a former center, I can tell you he's using bad technique. He needs to have his forearm hit his thigh for a consistent stopping point. So clearly there's something going around with his fundamentals. I mean, to say that there's nothing wrong with Cam's technique, I don't I mean, know the how fatigue, the is. fatigue is probably causing Maybe the bad fatigue leading the bad. Yeah. That's how I, I would kind of read between the lines that the fatigue is causing bad technique. Well, why is Cam so out of shape? I get it that he missed a lot of time during camp, but we're talking about we're in week six, seven now. Well, how much running and sprinting could he do in the summer? Well, he didn't even go through fall camp. I mean, I guess. I mean, he had he had a broken foot. It seems like tossing the ball between your legs doesn't take that much physical effort, but that's just me. Yeah, I don't know. I I think it is. I think it is. You know, something that when you are playing a new brand new position, you you were limited in fall camp, and you you have to make calls and and then block a three hundred and thirty pound guy when you're two eighty. You know, I'm sure that there's so a lot of different factors. So if he's not ready, if he's not ready physically or mentally, why is he playing? Because I think the gap still. I think they still believe he's a better option than Farniak. Yeah. He's. I mean, Nate can attest to this. Athletically and upside wise, is it even close in your opinion? No, I, I mean, athletically, yeah. It's. I mean, he's he's bigger and more athletic, and so um, a lot faster. Yeah. I. You know. I, I don't know. I, I just when you look at just the the measurables and and the, the overall athleticism, yeah, Cam Jurgens is kind of off the charts compared to Farniak. Not to say that Farniak's a bad player, but it's just you know the, those types of intangible things are are not really all that close. All right, when we come back, we're going to talk about defensive storylines to watch and going against this very talented Gopher wide receiver uh, unit. Uh, they've got two guys that have really stood out. We'll give our thoughts on that next. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Really good group um, in the Big Ten. I think, you know, Illinois presented some different issues. Obviously, Ohio State's got a, a really good receiving core, but these guys are really good, too. I recruited uh, Sherrod Bateman a little bit, so I'm familiar with him. But they have a, they have a good crew. They have a, a guy in, in Bateman that can, uh, you know, a lot of yards after catch and a lot of yards per catch, and, and uh, Johnson can go over the middle. And, you know, they, they have a nice complimentary offense, and, and they do a, a nice job of getting those guys in position to make catches. He's top zone, you know, and that's that's not even just going back to last year. Even I remember him uh, the year before that, you know, doing big things. He's He's definitely a top guy. And welcome back here to the Husker Alliance Show. Sean Callahan, Robert Washett, and A. Klaus. That was defensive coordinator Eric Shenander 
and corner DiCaprio Boodle talking about Minnesota's talented receivers. Rashad Bateman, that was Shenander on him. And then you heard Boodle about Tyler Johnson. And technically, Johnson was is the higher-rated guy. Uh, but right now, Bateman's having the better year. Um, he has been targeted 33 times, has 23 catches for 537. Johnson's been targeted 39 with 29, but only 349 yards. Um, he's also had four drops, guys. Uh, Johnson has not been as consistent, but Bateman, according to Pro Football Focus, um, has converted 22 first downs on his 23 catches. So wow. very, very efficient. Tells you how far down the field they want to go. I mean, those are the guys. They they are NFL caliber receivers. Um, you know, when you, when you look at this group, those two guys will probably play on Sundays, and they've been the bright spot for Minnesota here uh, through the first couple of weeks. Yeah, Tyler Johnson, I mean, as Boodle said, you could make a case that uh, is as good as any receiver Nebraska will face this year. Um, he came in as maybe the best wide receiver in the country that no one was talking about. and First team All-Big Ten over Stanley Morgan last year. Exactly. So, I mean, he is the real deal. He is a bona fide NFL draft pick, no question about it. And it just so happens that they have two or three other guys that uh, are playing at extremely high level and could be pros at the next level as well. So, that creates a, quite a conundrum, I think, for Nebraska's defense because when you look at Minnesota, the first thing you immediately think about is stopping the run. They have a mammoth offensive line, including that tackle who's like 400 pounds, like the biggest dude in college football. Uh, and then they usually run a lot of two tight end sets with two tight ends that are about the size of offensive linemen. So it, in some packages, they're running like seven dudes that are all the size of, of offensive linemen, uh, you know, that, that have a stable of running backs in front of or behind them that uh, all were a thousand yard rushers. And so, I mean, that is what immediately jumps out, but you cannot overcommit yourself to stopping the run because of that threat they have at wide receiver and the play action game will be as important as any. And, you know, they always talk about eye discipline and not being an eye violator, which is maybe one of my favorite terms I've heard this year. Uh, These corners (laughs) cannot be eye violators. They have to lock in on their guys. And while you obviously have to step up and play against the run, you cannot bite on play action because Minnesota will kill you on it. I want to give you a couple of numbers here, Nate, and give me your reaction. Minnesota's only thrown to the tight end a total of four times this year. Um, and then you look at their running backs, uh, you would think, oh, they probably throw to those guys a lot. No, they haven't. Uh, they've only thrown to the running backs eight times. So four throws to tight ends and eight to running backs over the first five games of the season. So everything they do really runs through Bateman and Johnson. Well, yeah, and, and I think it's all predicated off the the RPO, you know, the the run game. And when you make a mistake as a defensive back, it's it's not just a, a big gain. It's it's going to be probably a touchdown and and a big touchdown. I mean, those guys are big time playmakers. Uh, whether it's Bateman or Johnson, when they when they catch the ball, it's going to be you know a big gainer or you know a long score because. Uh, chances are, you know, if they're if they're wide open, and it's uncontested. It was because you got sucked in on on one of those, you know, RPO plays, and so um, that's that's going to be something that that is very difficult for these guys. And and you mentioned it, Robin. They've got a couple other guys that are playing at a high level too. So it's going to be interesting. I know in North, the Northwestern game, we saw them roll out DiCaprio Boodle and Lamar Jackson to one side of the field and had Braxton Clark out. Yeah, Boodle in the slot. Yeah, had Boodle in the slot. So I think we could see some more of that possibly where put your best guys on their best guys exactly and in some size too because these guys those those wideouts are are pretty big too so 
if you roll out Braxton Clark and Lamar Jackson, DiCaprio Boodle, you know, have Cam Taylor in the back, I, I think I think they're going to be doing some different things there. So that's uh, definitely something to keep an eye on. You know, look at running the ball too. Minnesota has really put an emphasis in trying to run the football this year. Um, but it just hasn't happened um, consistently. Uh, this past week's game against Illinois, uh, they, they went off for over 300 yards. But before that, Minnesota in their previous four games had only averaged 2.6 yards per carry, under 100 yards versus Purdue, under 100 yards versus Georgia Southern, and they were in the low 100s against South Dakota State and Fresno State. And some of those games, they had over 50 attempts. Mm. So they have struggled to run the ball consistently. Rodney Smith, though, is their guy. He Of all the backs, he's the one that's emerged um, as their, their featured number one with Mo Ibrahim right with him. Uh, behind him Um, and then you look at Tanner Morgan you're like oh are they going to run him more he's only had 14 design run plays the entire season for 15 yards so will they change that up this week and do more um, zone read option with Tanner Morgan well Northwestern capitalized on that for a good half to with great success so um, you know, Nebraska probably should be used to seeing things that teams haven't shown all year. They're throwing it out against them because <laughs> they're uh, aggressive. They take yeah. it. They go against their aggression. Exactly. And so, uh, you know, that's something that, you know, you wouldn't think you'd have to account for, but uh, you probably will. But more so, w- Minnesota's run production hasn't been great, like you said, outside of the Illinois game. But like Nate mentioned, everything that they do is based off the run. They will continue to run the ball and force you to stop it. And once you start to go all in on shutting down that run, that's when they pop you over the middle. And uh, one thing about Morgan is his efficiency and completion percentage have been off the charts. He completed almost like almost what 18 to 20 passes in a row one game so i mean like uh they when they throw the ball they do it very because teams well. have loaded the box exactly because so they, they one-on-one matchups with those nfl wide receivers and they're going to win them more often than not and he thought that teams thought that you know what we could make he was supposed to be the lesser of the thrower and annex got hurt mm-hmm. and so a lot of people are like all right we're going to shut down the run exactly. and make him win and, and he's made some good plays yeah he's, he's a he's a better quarterback than people think especially when it comes to efficiency And like Nate, you said, it's all about that run game. Yeah, and that run game, I mean, against Illinois in the second half, uh, Tony Tuioti mentioned that they ran the football over 20 or 21 consecutive plays in a row. And they want that massive offensive line starting to lean on your D-line. So in the end of the game, they are starting to break off a little bit bigger runs. Um, and, and obviously, you know, the, to work that play action or, or RPO game off of that. So because of that, you know, the fact that this is going to be a very physical game, uh, they talked about wanting to play Jakeem Crean against bigger personnel. Keem. I mean, this this has to be the uh, one of those games, right? I mean, with the emphasis they put on the run and the size of that offensive line, Kind of sets up to be a, I feel a big like Keem Green day because last week should have been the Keem Green game, but I think Wisconsin and Iowa are probably the other two. Yeah, you agree think. or disagree, Nate? I, yeah, I would probably agree with that. But from talking with Tuioti, I didn't get the sense that this is one of the games that they had earmarked as far as him, you know, playing an awful lot. This whole deal's driving me nuts, by the way, about earmarking this. or I mean, yeah, it's yeah. it, it just like play the guys that are going to win the games. Yeah. Like, don't worry about well, earmarking. Who knows? I, I mean, know. if, if they're getting blown off the ball or something, then then they might. Or if if they were missing Khalil Davis this week instead of last week, then then that might have changed things too a little bit too. But I, I get the – from, from he, he said that he's been running with the first team in their tempo periods, but he is not – uh, you know, going to be a first-team player this week. So 
take that for whatever. And Ben it's worth. Stilley played seventy snaps last week. Carlos Davis and Darian Daniels played as many snaps as they've done all season as well. So uh, they had, you know, they they had to really overwork those guys last week, Robin. And I just think this matchup lends itself to needing depth as much as ever. And when you have a guy like Keem Green uh, at your disposal and you can use him, use him. All right, when we come back, we're going to bring Husker Online intern Mike Wheeler in, and we'll take your questions in the mailbag. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Luke's a special athlete. He's going to be a special player. You know, we definitely want to save his year, so we have to be smart. I'd love to see him out there doing some things, but we have to be smart in uh, which other games we play him in. Uh, it was funny Saturday uh, once Adrian was out and Noah went in. They, uh, Mario asked me on the headset if his helmet comes off or something, who are we putting in? And I said Luke without thinking about it, not expecting it to happen. It happened on the next play. So it was unfortunate he was out there. Did a good job on his one play, but he's got three more to play this year, and we're not going to play him anymore. That's how every week is. You know, every week is an opportunity to go practice and, and get better in your craft and prepare like, like, like you're the guy. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Head coach Scott Frost there and freshman quarterback Luke McCaffrey on his one snap of action where they gave him the ball and let him run as uh, the helmet came off of Noah Vedrill. And, you know, maybe we'll see Luke McCaffrey for a few plays this week. It's hard to say what the four-game um, plan is for him as, as you look ahead for Luke McCaffrey. But it's time for the mailbag. Husker Online intern Mike Wheeler joining us now. Mike, what's the leadoff question? All right, guys, so we'll start off with Minnesota, uh, Nebraska's opponent this week. So on a scale of 1 to 10, how shocked or not shocked are you that Minnesota has received such little attention in the AP Top 25? I'm not shocked because, I mean, they have the weakest resume of any team. I mean, they played no Power 5 non-conference games, which I think within the Power 5, there may only be of the 65 Power 5 programs, maybe two or three that – do that and then their their first two conference games were Purdue without Sindelar and you know Rod, um what's his name uh, Rondell, Rondell Moore yeah. you know they both left early in that game and then they play Lovey Smith when the Illini are pretty much gonna you know he's a lame duck at this point so they have had the easiest schedule to me of anybody in the power five and I don't even know if it's close and they've barely gotten through the, that schedule with five wins I mean the competition's been bad they haven't played all that well they haven't looked great uh, outside of Illinois that was the only game they actually dominated and that's a bad Illinois team so uh, you know they're considered the worst 5-0 and team in the country for a reason so I, I don't think that uh, people are wrong for still needing to see a little bit more from that team before they buy in yeah I mean anytime you go out there and you almost lose to FCS school South Dakota State which I mean they're a good team credit to them but they had to they had to pull some things out yeah, late. they should have lost yeah by so they won by a touchdown there the Georgia Southern they had to complete like a fourth and 30 to to get in position to win that game I mean there we could very well be talking and then I think the Fresno State game too was, overtime it was overtime so <laughs> I mean we could very well be talking about a two and three yeah and so I'm not surprised at all that they haven't been getting uh, more attention. Than P.J. Fleck needs to send the schedule maker, by the way, one an or something. Because, oh, absolutely. Because yeah. their crossovers coming up are Maryland and Rutgers. So they got the weakest crossovers of out of – Penn probably, State. They have Penn State, Maryland, and Rutgers. Yeah. Yeah, their schedule is pretty favorable. All right, guys. So this is kind of a football-basketball mix, but what do you guys think happens first? Coach Frost wins 10 regular season games or Coach, Ho- or Coach Hoiberg wins 20? Hmm. I think by next year, Nebraska could win 10 in football. I mean, so, but I think Hoiberg could do it next year too. I don't think he's going to do it this year. 
Yeah. I just don't know enough about Nebraska to see how far away they are. And uh, the thing is that you can flip the switch a lot easier in basketball. And with the way that they schedule a lot of the times, you can stockpile some wins. So 20 games isn't necessarily – But 20 conference games now. Yeah, yeah, but, I mean, you can get at least 12, 13 wins in non-con if you schedule softly. So, I don't know. I think that – I'll probably say – basketball at this point but i don't think football is far off from 10 at all yeah I'm, i think i'm right there with you i feel like it, now it used to be if you were a 20 game winner in basketball that was you're a surefire ncaa yeah. team Ask nebraska two years ago exactly but now that's not <laughs> that's not so much the case I, I think um you know i wouldn't be surprised if if they won you know 20 or or a couple more than that here in the next year or two uh not this season but uh, but at the same time, I don't think Nebraska football is all that far off, too, especially uh, with as young as they are. All right, guys. So this past week, we have seen some sort of draft type for this Husker team, Lamar Jackson in particular. Uh, so staying on that note, as of today, who can you guys see getting drafted from this Nebraska team? Darian Daniels, Khalil Davis, Lamar Jackson. I mean, those are the three that come to my mind. Nobody on the offense right now unless J.D. Spielman were to declare, and I'm not even sure he'd get drafted right now. Yeah, I would. I mean, Stanley Morgan's not getting drafted. I don't think J.D.'s getting drafted. But those three, I mean, yeah. and, and Carlos maybe, but Carlos, Khalil, Lamar, and Darian. Yeah. Anybody and I would else? Put, I would put Khalil over Carlos for sure. Um, I don't see any of those linebackers. I, mean, I don't think Muhammad Berry's getting. I don't drafted, think Muhammad Berry's so. getting drafted. Yeah. I mean, I like Muhammad. He says I just don't see it. Yep, and I don't think those safeties. Um, Dismuke would be the only other guy, and he's a junior. Oh, he's a junior. Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. I thought he was a senior. All right, so yeah, no, those are those are the three or yeah. four that I picked. Yeah, those are the guys right now. Um, but is Lamar Jackson a first rounder? That like, caught me by like surprise. CBS Depends said. what he runs. I mean, he's got all the measurables. Well, he does. He has all. He's the stuff. prototype. Yeah, he is the prototype. And he leads the nation in what pass breakups? And he's like the he's top, top three. three in pass defended interceptions. In, in yeah, well, I don't know if he's. I well, know he's, he's got two. There. He's got two picks. Yeah, he's right up there. He's in. He's like a top five guy in in three or four different categories as far as yeah. corners go. So. Um, I think he's deserved like he deserves some of the the hype. I don't know if he's mid, kind of yeah. mid first round guy, but but good for him. I mean, if he keeps it up, then he could very well sneak in there. I don't yeah. know. All right, what do you got next, Mike? All right, guys. So this is going to be kind of going way back here, but who has or who had the greatest turnaround challenge, Bob Devaney or Scott Frost? Uh, I mean, I, if you talk to the historians, Devaney actually inherited a pretty good team. Um, Jennings was a good recruiter. He, I mean, he he left enough talent on the roster that Nebraska went to an Orange Bowl very quickly in Bob Devaney's tenure, and they won the Orange Bowl against Auburn. Um, they went to a bowl game, I believe, in Devaney's first season. So um, I would say Frost. I mean, Frost inherited two four and eight teams with a lot of internal issues and a lot of problems, um, and they didn't have near the talent. Um, you know, where Devaney at least, I mean, he was at an Orange Bowl pretty quickly. Yeah, I'll say Frost as well because the expectations, for one, uh, weren't anything near what Devaney, Devaney had to face compared to what Frost had to face. I mean, Frost was supposed to come in here and instantly change the program in the span of a year, and when it didn't happen, all of a sudden people are calling him Scott Fraud and all this <laughs> stuff. I mean, like, it, it's kind of the, the unreasonable uh, bar that was set for him is nothing like Devaney had to face. And then there's so much parity in college football that, you know, there's just so much more competition. Everybody's good now. There's a lot of good players everywhere. And so I just think that it's, it's a difficult, more difficult task in today's college football than it was when Bob Devaney had it. I'll go with Frost and, and really not even 
think twice about it. I, and I don't know what the turnover was like when Devaney, you know, took over, but Frost had to deal with a ton of turnover. Really, this program has kind of been a revolving door for for a long time, as far as you know. When you look at recruiting rankings and everything, I mean, <laughs> how many of their top guys have actually exhausted all their eligibility? It's been a long time since they've kind of kept an entire recruiting class intact for the most part. So uh, I, I do think that Frost inherited uh, the bigger turnaround project. Final question, Mike, what do you have? All right, guys. So seeing that we may uh, see the backup quarterback make his first career start uh, this week against Minnesota, uh, what are your guys' favorite backup stories for the Huskers? I mean, there's a lot that you can go off of. Um, there's one for me that just was special because of the context. Um, I thought – Riker Fife getting the start on senior day against Maryland and getting the win um, on the day Sam Fultz was honored for his senior day. He was Sam Fultz's quarterback. And, you know, I always felt bad for Riker because that Purdue game, he didn't play very well when he had to go in and play at Purdue. And it just was a bad, you know, people looked at him. It's not a very good quarterback. And he came back and played a really, really good home game against Maryland and Brandon Riley, another senior had a great day and he was one of Sam Fulton's close friends. Um, so that one for me is, is pretty special. I mean, there's a lot though of backups that have started for Nebraska over the last 20 plus years. I'm going to go back to 1994 when Wyoming came to town and Brooke Beringer got the start and uh, it was a close game. Collapsed his lung. Yeah. And he ended up I think he scored a couple touchdowns. He played with a collapsed lung and just basically willed that thing through a, a dogfight of a, of a game. And I was sitting in the Wyoming section because my dad is from Wyoming. He knew some people that got us tickets through the Wyoming sec ticket, whatever. And there's some like old cowboys like smoking cigars in their trench coats and like ranch cowboy hats. <laughs> like the guys had to, the staff had to come, the stadium staff had to come tell them <laughs> to put their cigars out. Anyway, so that one will always stick in my memory, especially with how gutsy Brooke Beringer was. Yeah, I think that's probably the all-time best one. Um, Not Terman? Well, I mean, just Monte Cristo. Yeah, they, I mean, <laughs> Cristo started against. They Texas. went on. They went on to to win. You know, win it all. I don't know. I mean, it's it's got to be right up there, but. Um, how about Joe Gans taking over for for uh, Keller? You, um, you know, and, and that kind of I mean, he went on to to in his short time as a starter, went on to to put up some pretty crazy numbers. Made you question the decision at that point. Oh yeah, why Gans wasn't starting? But lots of memories. You got Monte Cristo, Ron Kellogg started games as a backup. Tommy Armstrong came in as a backup for Taylor, and he how won. About Divine? Uh, who's that? Divine. Divine. A Zigbo. Well, we're talking quarterbacks, right? Oh, I just was saying just backups, you know, for any, oh, anything. Yeah. Oh, okay. I thought we were just talking quarterbacks oh, here because okay. we were on the with the situation. Um, I mean, heck, running back's a hard one, but quarterback is so defined when yeah. you're the backup. Um, you know, and, and it's, it's rare, but it happens. But lots of memories. We come back. We'll talk some recruiting with Nate Klaus. It's been a busy week with two new commits. We'll close the show with that next. You're listening to your Last Car Line show. Listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Just making sure they stay focused. I mean, a lot of it because we kind of believe that. I mean, he's done it. He's done it before, and he's done it multiple times. That it, it's not every single snap that goes haywire. It's it's the occasional, and uh, I think it's just it might be a little bit of focus, or it might be a little bit of mechanics. But whatever it is, we need to make sure we help him lock in and um, just get it back to the quarterback because that's like I was saying earlier, number one job is we need we need the ball to the quarterback. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan with Nate Klaus. 
Uh, this segment of the Husker Online Show brought to you by Kugler Vision. It's been about three weeks since I had my LASIK surgery, and it's amazing because every day I'm still kind of noticing new and different things with my vision. So glad that I was able to, to get that done and, and honestly wish I would have done it earlier. So I encourage all of you that, that wear contacts or glasses to go out there and, and get a consultation so that you can change your vision as well. All right, well, let's talk some recruiting, Nate. It's been a busy week for Nebraska. Two commits, um, and you know these came off the cusp of, that Ohio State game both guys were in town for the game um, let, let's first start uh, with the first commit Nebraska added a pretty good one Nate an inside linebacker yeah Rodney Gross out of Pleasant Grove Alabama uh, like you said he was in for that Alabama game or that uh, Ohio State game and you know, following that game everyone's like oh are we gonna get any recruits out of this they just we ruined our chances with getting anybody but uh, you know, he was one of those guys that was just blown away by the atmosphere. And this is a, a player that had offers from Alabama, Auburn, uh, Tennessee, uh, all these SEC, ACC schools, uh, you know, had, had offered him. He'd taken trips to those schools, too. So it wasn't just like an uncommittable offer or whatever, but um, he's 6'2", 235, comes in and, and absolutely loves his time here and sees an opportunity to play early. He's an early graduate, so he'll be on campus in January, able to kind of go through winter conditioning with Zach Duvall. And, and I think he's somebody who can go ahead and, and at least push for early playing time or at least make some noise in the spring. Um, you know, he's coming off of a game last week where he had, he had 10 tackles, three sacks, and 11 quarterback hurries. Holy um, cow. I mean, so this is a very active and disruptive player. And uh, I'm, I'm a huge fan of Rodney Gross. And, uh, you know, now Nebraska has room for at least one more inside linebacker, and which is you know arguably one of their bigger positions of need on defense. So this was a good get for the Huskers. Yeah, right now they're playing um, – two juniors and a senior and you know they're they're way under man right now they don't really even have a defined fourth guy so uh getting depth there then depth at corner as well Nate um I, I'm assuming Ronald Delancey will be a corner a Miami Northwestern guy um but you know how Travis Fisher is he likes guys that can kind of move around back there yeah and Ronald Delancey's played different positions at Miami Northwestern he's played safety uh but I think he will come in as as a corner and I see him more as a true cover corner, to be honest with you. He does break the mold a little bit from from what we've seen Travis Fisher recruit, just in terms of size, because he's not that uh, that you know six one, six two guy that that he seems to to really target. Um, you know, he's closer to probably closer to five ten than he is to to six foot. But um, you know, he's he's a very productive player. And, and anytime you're playing at Miami Northwestern, which I think right now you know Max Preps has them ranked as the number sixteen overall high school program in the country. Uh, he sees great talent week in and week out, and there's probably ten or more Division One guys on his team. Uh, just in his class, in that 2020 class. I mean, so the, the competition that he sees at practice every single day, um, you know, you, you kind of have to be, like he told me after I talked to him after he committed, he said, he goes, I'm a dog. And I go out there and I compete. And I'm not scared of anybody. And, and that's exactly what Travis Fisher likes. So that's a, those are the types of guys that he wants to bring into this program. And so, um, you know, he feels like he's the top corner in the country. Uh, now his ranking by rivals would not sh- indicate yeah, that. If you, I'm going to be the Red Sea Scrolls guy here. If you called Rob Cassidy and got an explanation on why he's a two-star. Well, I think right now it's just kind of size, uh, you know, because like he's I almost said, six foot well like I said I think he's closer he's probably closer to 510 than six foot and he's he's a buck 65 so he's not he's not a very big guy right now 
Uh, but he plays big. He you you go and watch his film. He is not afraid to hit somebody, and when he does, he he puts them down. And, and he's blocking field goals. He's picking passes off. Return. He's got he's got two or three pick sixes already this season. He's got three or four blocked field goals. I mean, he does a little bit of everything uh, all over all over the football field. And and I think that we will see his ranking be bumped up. Um, you know, I, but probably not to where he would like it. Like because I like I said, he's he thinks that he's one of the top corners in the country but um you know i really like what travis fisher is doing here with with the types of uh, athletes he's bringing in in that secondary and surprisingly enough all three of his defensive backs in this class now have come from the state of florida and so i I think there's room for one more for sure maybe two more if it's the right guy and if they've got room there but um you know that's that's a position where you know now that delancey's in the boat i think they can be really selective with you joked nate about the talent at miami northwestern there's probably 10 guys that don't play football they're division one guys in that school there's no doubt i mean i think on their team as a collective whole they probably have got 30 40 guys that have the ability to play at the next level i wish somebody just your average educated high school football fan in nebraska could go down to miami like we've had a chance to do many times in our careers and just watch the talent i mean it's and, and, and if he is an elite guy in that type of talent setting that's saying something well, yeah, I mean, he's playing Miami Carroll City. He's playing Miami Central, uh, Miami Killian. It's survival uh, out it, there. Yeah, I mean, it's – in each and every one of these teams, they've got 10, 20, 30 <laughs> Division One. I mean, it's it's insane. And so – Was he at FIU or FAU for satellite games? So, yeah, he, he had an opportunity to work with uh, Travis Fisher. Now, he was committed to Louisville uh, going all the way back to last February. And, and Nebraska recruited him. They offered him on April 19th. They offered him again the very first day at midnight when they could send out the official kind of written offer. They sent that out. And so I know a lot of people, they automatically looked at his ranking and they're like, oh, why are we reaching for this guy? Well, he's been on towards the top of Travis Fisher's list from day one. And they were able to get him away from Louisville. He, he visited as a Louisville commit, he decommitted a day later. Um, and then he told Nebraska, you know, kind of off the record or whatever, uh, behind closed doors that he was coming. And then he just announced it this past week that publicly that, that he was committed to the Huskers. So, um, you know, and, and I think now they've got four guys from Florida, uh, three of which are defensive backs. Those guys talking fr- with them, they, they feel like they're going to continue to be able to get more and more Florida guys up to Nebraska. So, you know, that's that's another layer of this to, to kind of keep an eye on. Nate, we got about less than a minute here, but two targets were on campus last week as well. Four-star wide receiver in Georgia commit Justin Robinson and offensive line recruit Alex Harrison uh, briefly, what can you give us on those guys? Well, it's interesting with, with Harrison out of Utah. He's actually being recruited as a defensive tackle, even though rivals list him as an offensive lineman. But honestly, he'll probably have an opportunity to play either spot, either side of the football at Nebraska. Uh, and then Robinson, the 6'4", 210 wide receiver that's committed to Georgia. He's he's go, goes to the same school as Marquise Black and Bryson Estes, both of which have, have visited Nebraska as well. So there's that's it's kind of an interesting connection there. Um, he did he definitely loved his trip, sees plenty of opportunity there because Nebraska doesn't have a wide out on the roster that looks like he does at 6'4", 210. And Georgia was okay with the visit. Um, I don't. The, Kirby doesn't strike me as a guy that would be okay yeah, with yeah, that. I mean, and they can – they don't have to – I mean, they dance can dance around. Yeah, guys. they can go ahead and, and cut somebody loose and get somebody just as good. Um, I got the impression that that it probably wasn't something that, that he had their blessing on. But, uh, you know, it's not like they've pulled his offer either. 
It will be interesting to see because typically um, Sabins and Smarts and those types of guys aren't aren't big fans of that type no. of behavior. But uh, good news for Nebraska. Well, lots to follow. Uh, Nate will be down in Kansas this weekend to watch Turner Corcoran play Friday night. Um, we will be obviously all of us will be in Minneapolis as well, bringing you full coverage of. Uh, the Nebraska-Minnesota game. So make sure you log on to HuskerOnline.com. We'll keep you up to date on everything. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.